Combo Nation. I'm just here to entertain you, man. Can they hear us now? Good. <laughs> Combo Nation, what up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 313 of Combo's Court. And I am Combo. You heard that right, episode 313 of Combo's Court. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you listen to Combo's Court. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, leave a five-star rating and a comment. Would greatly appreciate it on the Apple Podcast app. It is a follow button, so punch down on that. Don't forget to share this episode. We here at Combos Court would greatly appreciate it if you share this episode on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Share it on your IG stories and tag Combo. That's right, tag Combo. Me, yours truly, at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Today's show, scientist, coach, author, Dr. Andy Galpin, is an expert in human performance and one of the world's leading researchers in the field. Joins in to talk sleep, technology, flow, strength, and more in part one of our conversation. You can follow Andy on Instagram and Twitter at Dr. Andy Galpin. That's D-R-A-N-D-Y-G-A-L-P-I-N. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Galpin, welcome to Combo's Court. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling incredible, man. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You know, there's so many different ways I feel like I could go with this conversation. So many things I want to talk about, but I think we should start with this. Um, can you tell me more about what you do, especially for the listenership who might not know who you are, but you know, I'm familiar. I've heard your work before, but for the listenership, can you tell me more about what you do at Cal State Fullerton and the athletes that you work with? Yeah, sure. First of all, I got to say, I love your shirt. That's oh, thank dope. you, man. That's so dope. Uh, shouts to Mr. Fomer Simpson, Uncivilized Brand. Appreciate that, man. Nice. I don't know what that is, but I'm looking to it now. because. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, great brand. <laughs> um, so I, I guess the easiest way to think about my job is in three parts. So uh, I'm a full-time professor. I'm a scientist. I run the Center for Sport Performance at Cal State Fullerton. So we've got a bunch of laboratories in that center. And the whole ethos is to do any kind of research that we think could enhance human performance. So this could be from the biomechanics perspective, could be from the muscle physiology, exercise physiology, nutrition, strength conditioning, anything that we think you know would be directly related to performance athletes. So part number two, uh, I teach in a, a graduate master's program uh, in the areas of strength and conditioning, program design, so building training programs for athletes, uh, sports nutrition, and again, things in that field. And then the third part is uh, I, I work directly with high-performance athletes. So 
Uh, I work with uh, the highest paid player in two of the major sports in America. Uh, maybe another one coming along. Um, a lot of UFC fighters, Major League Baseball guys, um, weightlifters, powerlifters, a bunch of world record holders, a bunch of Olympic champions, a bunch of world champions, uh, boxers, things like that. So um, directly running training programs and nutrition and, and really it's more like life counseling, to be honest, because it's, mm. it's sleep, it's recovery, it's hydration, it's building schedules, like your daily schedule. It's, it's just all the things that go into making sure that someone, you know, performs perfectly today because it's a World Series game, right? Those are the things that are on my plate. I can't just give them food. It has to be, when they wake up, everything has to be perfect until they walk in that field. So that's, it, that's in essence, what I do. That's interesting. I wonder who's learning more, you or them. Well, I mean, it's every single month, um, the knowledge, the skills that we gain, just it goes up exponentially um, because, you know, scientifically, we're always fairly limited, right? We have to base most of our research on, you know, recreationally active folks. So we don't have a lot to draw upon with what works for someone who's truly at the peak. So when we have these people that go into these competitions and they break world records in powerlifting, or they they win a, a world championship. And we, we don't have any. We don't know exactly what's going to work. And so, yeah, we lose. We learn a tremendous amount about what happens, what doesn't. And sort of the second point to that is, you know, research and learning from other coaches. It just gives you guidelines. But you'll never know what to do truly by yourself unless you have someone who can focus on what we call precision. And so, what that means is every athlete is a little bit different, and some of them are a lot different. And so you never know what's going to work for anybody until you have personalized, optimized it for them. So if I have, and I've had this recently, I had two people fighting for a world championship on the exact same day and their approaches in training camp, their diets, their warmups, how often they work out, what time of day they work out, what they drink. It was all different, all different because we have to make that process personalized because we have to figure out their physiology to figure out their psychology. And then we have to build a program around that. So you're never going to really reach these true peak performances until you do that. So it's a huge learning process, no matter what. Yeah. So, I mean, the improvements at that level are incremental, I would say, right? And Extremely small. Yeah. Is it fair to say, I mean, you're working with the best fighters in the world. Is it fair to say that it's more likely to fighters at that level to hit plateaus? And how do you get through plateaus? Yeah, that's, so that's a really good question. Um, is it more likely to hit plateaus? You're going to live almost exclusively on plateaus. You're going to spend most of your time in plateau, right? It's very, very difficult to make changes. Um, so the second part then is, yeah, how do we get past that? It's the precision stuff, right? It's detailing as many things as we can. It's running advanced athletics, right? So for example, if I had a, a, a high school athlete or a, a a division two football player. And they came in and said, I just kind of got to like some basics. It's like, okay, we might, I might spend a couple hours talking to them, learn enough just from conversation and be able to give them some pretty good guidelines. If I want to make sure somebody peaks, you know, to, to, to win a gold medal on a, on a specific day, and I've got four years to plan for that, we're probably going to run advanced breath analysis. We're going to do hair samples, blood, urine, stool, saliva, and we're going to take analytics every single day. We're going to run sleep studies on them. Like we're going to do all this. We're going to pull out all the stops. And when I do that, that's how I can guarantee and go, oh, 
all this comes down to the fact that uh, you need to meditate for 10 minutes a day. Or you just need a little more vitamin B6. This was actually really low. You've got a little bit of mercury overload. Once we get that cleared up, everything gets better. So all we're looking for at that point are really small or really hidden problems that are playing a big deal in physiology. And that's exactly how you see these folks. Like if you ever seen somebody at the pro level, like maybe they're pretty good. And then they have like, boom, they just take off. Or they're, yeah, they're really we call, good. We call, we call it a leap in basketball. We call it taking the leap. Yeah. Yep. Or they're really, really good. Like all pro, pro, you know, like all-star. And all of a sudden yeah. just, they just tank for a year. Like what the hell? And then the next year they come back. Yeah. A lot of times it's because it's something like this. Like something was going on and you're just like, ah, I just feel off. I'm not hurt. I'm not sick. Like what's going And you do some advanced analytics and you're like, oh, this one little thing got squirrely. And you fix it and all of a sudden they just, just explode. So, so that's a real thing, man. Like that really happens. Um, I just did it recently with a guy. Okay. Like average. Okay. Like certainly going to keep playing for a while. Uh, took off one player of the year award fixed. We found a bunch of stuff, fixed it and one player of the year next year. Just dominated. So, yeah. It's a big so deal. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Okay. You wrote a book called unplugged. Um, the, the way people are dependent on technology is, I don't know if people know this. It's something I think about every single day, right? So for you, you put out a lot of great content on YouTube, social media. How do you find the balance in your life in putting out great content to the world, but not being dependent and not spending too much time with technology? Yeah, yeah we have to always remember that you're always going to play some exchanges in life. So you're either driving resiliency or you're driving sensitivity. So what I mean by that, imagine that uh, you knew someone who, who drank a bottle of wine every night, or they, they crushed like three or four beers every night. And you, they wake up the next day and they're not hungover at all, right? They're very resilient to alcohol. So they handle three or four or five drinks a night, no problem. Somebody else who never drinks smashes four beers in one night they're probably going to wake up like, man, maybe not super, super hungover, but like, whew, I don't feel good. A little headache. I'm off. I'm sleepy. All these things. Right. So the first person is very resilient to alcohol. The second person very sensitive to alcohol. So a little bit of alcohol and they just like, Oh man. Okay. So in that particular case, you probably don't want to be super resilient to alcohol because that means you're drinking it a lot. Right. That's not a great thing. Yeah. Tech is the same way. If you're becoming completely dependent upon tech, then you're not, you lose all of your sensitivity, right? You gain a tremendous amount of resilience. You're like, oh, I can be on my phone all night and go work to sleep. It doesn't affect me. Okay. So you've developed a huge resiliency towards it, but now you've lost any sensitivity. And so you don't feel anything happening in your body. I'm telling you, when you work with high-level athletes or high-level execs, performers, I have to be able to be like, okay, we made this small change today. How did you feel today? Oh, feel the same. Someone who's really insensitive to their own body, they have no idea what they're even feeling. They don't know that they feel trash. They don't know that they feel so like we, we never know what's working or not because we don't get any feedback. So too much tech tends to rob you of your own internal self. And we need to have that restored because the problem is the technology is crappy. Um, it gives you bad guidance, takes you in the wrong directions. And so if we're relying upon the external technologies, we're going to get a lot of wrong answers often. And in the world I deal with, I don't have time for that. bro. Like, I do not have time to miss. 
<laughs> we have to be correct. I miss means career over. It means that was my one chance at a Super Bowl. It means like you just cost me 10 million. I, I don't have time for that. So we have to use technology perfectly uh, to make sure that we're understanding um, the good parts about tech and then the bad parts about tech. How does one know they're spending too much time with tech, would you say? Well, there's no specific answer. There's no specific line. But the, the general position that you should take is technology should be enhancing your self-reliance, not enhancing dependence. So if you're, for example, you're like, man, I can't sit through a 20-minute dinner with my mom without checking my phone. Like you're not like you, you're not sensitive to how important your parents are or how fragile life is. You've become yeah. way desensitized. And so you're so addicted to your phone. Like you're going to look back and be like, I like everyone says this, right? When, when a parent dies, when a loved one dies, when a child dies, you would have paid any amount of money to have them back for five minutes. Well, here's your five minutes right now. And you can't stay off Instagram. You're, you were just on it five seconds. Ago, and you were yeah. on it a minute before that. You were on it a minute before. Like what is so goddamn important? Nothing. So that is a classic case of someone who is lost their sensitivity to what real life is. And you're so addicted to, in this case, the tech. If you can't drive from your house, your apartment to school every single day without pulling up maps, like, okay, you are lost in the world. You're now spending that whole time outside there instead of experiencing life around you, which has a whole bunch of tangential benefits, um, like physical ones in terms of like losing your eyesight. Yeah, in, in terms of getting into flow, uh, here's a good example. Um, yeah, athletes know about flow, right? If we're like, or in the zone is what they call it, right? 100%. You know, like, there's probably been a handful of times on the court when you've been like, I was in the zone that day. I could not miss, right? The basket was just that big, right? You're just putting them in. 100%. Doesn't happen very often, right? That's what we're chasing, right? That's just what we pay billions of dollars a year to figure out. Like, how can I get into flow more often? This, the scientific term is flow. So when I say flow and zone, that's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Cool. We know things like staring at your phone nonstop and checking email and checking Instagram and redoing Snapchat. We know that those things directly take you out of the zone. And we also know the less time you spend in there, the more likely you are to get into zone. So it's not just like, oh, Snapchat's not good for your brain, blah, blah, blah. Like there's a real consequence. I'm telling you, bro, you're not going to get in zone. It's a big ass difference. Um, we know that some things can help you get into the zone like certain musics, but other distractions take you away from it. Um, simple things like the, this is kind of technical, but the closer something is to your face that you're looking at, the less likely you are to be in the zone. So when you're staring at things a foot away from you all day, you'll get out of the zone. If you look up at things that are very far away, you're more likely to get in the zone. Now, the only time that happens in real life is when you get your face off of your computer and your phone and you look out at the world and see things that are miles away. Yeah. So this is a very important physiological trick you can do on the actual neurons in your brain that'll put you closer towards the zone. So it's not just the, the phone or social media that's bad. It's, it's things like that as well that you need to be looking out physically. I mean, there's a reason we have sayings like gazing into the stars, right? Like all this stuff, it's out there. It's, it's a reach away. When things are close to you, uh, you lose some of the kind of think of it as like you lose the fear that it's not close. You think like everything is close to me. I'm fine. But you need to have a little bit of like, this is really far away. I got to really drive and strive. And so your brain gets in a position where it's like, we got to do something epic right now. Yeah. And it locks in that magical focus time. And that doesn't happen when things are right there physically or mentally. 
Yeah. And I don't know if you noticed this. I think your greatest ideas come when you're taking like that type of outlook, right? Oh, no, it's not like a noticing. That's that's documented science. Yeah. No, no yeah. question. That's very well established scientifically. Yeah. I, I read uh, Stephen Kotler's book. He talks a lot about this. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I, I consulted with Stephen on that book. Oh, okay. Uh, to, help, to help him get that going. But yeah, he, that's a good example. Uh, he uses examples like, of like surfing. Yeah. And the outdoors. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Okay. I wanted to shift to muscle growth, hypertrophy. Um, what do we know about hypertrophy and what don't we know about hypertrophy? Well, we know quite a lot and there's still a lot to learn. So it depends on how, I guess, what level you want to stay really practical at the high, at the highest levels, like, like practical, what to eat, what to, how to train that kind of stuff. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Cause we can get into the muscle physiology part of it, but I don't know how many listeners yeah. care about that <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, whatever question you want to tackle here, we, we know, like practically wise uh, quite a bit um in fact when i teach these in the, my courses muscle phys or muscle hypertrophy is probably the one i give the least emphasis to because it's the easiest to program mm. like really writing hypertrophy programs and eating for hypertrophy is technically very simple i mean the work is hard like it's hard work you got to be consistent and all that but it's not complicated in terms of what to do because it's hypertrophy Training is honestly, man, it's, it's kind of idiot proof. You, you almost can't screw it up. Okay. So you just have to hit some basic concepts and you're going to be fine. So I think the easiest way to think about this is uh, we understand what causes muscle hypertrophy and you can put it into three basic areas. And as long as you do any training that lands in at least one of these three areas, then you're golden. Okay. All you have to do then is match that with appropriate rest and sleep. Okay. Which most athletes, especially younger ones do not do. And they wonder why I've been doing this program. I've been eating all these protein shakes. I'm not growing. Well, if you're staying up till two in the morning on Twitch, like, I don't know what to tell you, right? Like you're going to work, like you sleep five hours. Like we know that that can reduce things like testosterone by 30% or more. Wow. Well, like, bro, you're walking around. Lack of sleep can. You're saying? Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Or, yeah. or more. Uh, and we see this super, uh, we see this common. In fact, we can see, we've seen this a lot. People have greater increases in their testosterone levels by simply sleeping more than they would with steroids. And we've seen this a number of times. So sleep is a major deal. Um, so much so that like, I won't give anybody programming or nutrition help on hypertrophy until they show me they sleep because it's not going to matter. It doesn't matter if you're on a great nutrition program or like a pretty good one. If you're not sleeping well, it, none of it's going to matter. If you're like 19, you might get away with it. But outside of that, bro, it's over until you start sleeping well. So this is, this is a huge, I could certainly go more to sleep stuff, but um, <clears throat> like this is a foundational piece. Anybody not, you know, 18, if you're sleeping. Um, and even if you're 18, you want to develop those habits for later in life anyway. Right? And it's still hurting you. It's still yeah, hurting you. Exactly. You, exactly. You're still, yeah. You're not growing as much as you could. Not even close. Um, just to give some tips on the sleep thing, the total number of hours you sleep is important, right? You guys know you're supposed to sleep around eight hours. Right. Okay. But what people don't always necessarily understand is, and I actually think the science suggests that consistency is even more important than total hours. What I mean by consistency 
if you go to bed at 11 o'clock tonight and then tomorrow, let's say you go to bed at 11 and you sleep for eight hours and tomorrow you go to bed at 3 a.m. and you sleep for eight hours and the next night it's 2 a.m. and you sleep for eight hours and the next night it's 10 p.m. and you sleep for eight hours and the next night it's 6 a.m. That is way worse, way worse than somebody who just goes to bed at midnight every night and wakes up at 6 a.m. So they get only six hours versus eight, but it's at the same consistent time. So it's the yo-yoing of time you're going to sleep is what kills your circadian rhythms that kills your physiology. So you can't be staying up once or twice a week, all night playing video games or watching Netflix or like getting an okay amount of sleep and then staying up till five in the morning on the weekends and being like, no, it's cool because I'll sleep till like two in the afternoon. It's, it's going to wreck you big time. So you don't have to literally go to bed at the same exact time every night, but the rule we give is one hour. Keep your going to sleep time plus or minus one hour. Mm. Right. So if it's 11, like, uh, okay, sometimes you stay up to midnight. Fine. Sometimes you go to sleep at 10, right? Exactly. Fine. Plus or minus an hour. And look, I get it. Occasionally on a weekend, you're going to have to be out for a couple more hours. So like two hours is fine. But if if you're doing the three, four hour swing, constantly it's not gonna you're gonna get a hammer so you have you have to stay away from that uh, the total amount of sleep will cut itself up you can't just be like well i slept for 40 hours this week i'm fine no when those 40 hours happened is a big ass deal okay so now that i got way off track <laughs> we'll go back to the training stuff so it's training appropriately sleeping appropriately and eating appropriately we've knocked out sleep the three things that matter for training are basically you have to either feel a burn in the actual muscle you want to grow when you're training, right? You can imagine doing. And this is hypertrophy only not, well, obviously you're going to get stronger if you lift weights, but. Yeah. But strength and hypertrophy are not the same thing. No, of course. Of course. A hundred percent. Yeah. So getting a lot of hypertrophy won't necessarily get you stronger. So is there a way to train both at the same time? You definitely can. Yeah. Yeah. You can also train them separately. Gotcha. If you, if you know what you're doing with program design, you can design workouts that get you strength only and no weight gain, no muscle gain. You can get a little bit of both, or you can get mostly hypertrophy. Now you're going to have some strength gains with hypertrophy. Right. You, you're you can't add weight. 20 pounds. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't add 20 pounds of muscle and not get any stronger. That doesn't happen. Right. Um, but you can get a lot stronger without adding any muscle at all. Uh, yep. Which, which is the goal for some people, obviously. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Like a lot of the athletes I deal with. MMA. I mean, constantly. you don't want to get over your weight, right? So. Same with wrestlers. Same with a lot of times, um, endurance athletes. Yeah. Or basketball, basketball too, because you know it's yeah. Um, they feel heavy weight on the joints. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Hundred percent. So yeah. So slow. please explain how would. Yeah. Let's go through it all. Um. How would one train for? Primarily hypertrophy. Cool. Prim- primary strength and both like those are the we'll, options we'll go backwards we'll go okay. strength only okay we'll go mix and then we'll go great focusing purely on optimize like if you got a guy who's you're like i'm six seven you know i'm 170 like, all right, right. Like, we got to put some mass in here. like just getting bigger will get you stronger okay. so that's the so third one imagine. we'll talk about right okay yep <clears throat> so let, let's have a guy you can't afford to put on much weight, but you got to get strong, get pushed around. Okay. All right. 
Let's get stronger without putting on a lot of muscle. Well, in the world of training, we say specificity drives everything. Meaning, if you want to get better at shooting free throws, what do you do? Shoot free, shoot free throws. Right. You want to get better at shooting from the corner? Shoot from the corner. You want to get better at you, you, you put examples, what you do, right? Right. So strength training is the same thing. <clears throat> so you want to get better at being strong. You have to do something in the gym that makes you produce a lot of force. Mm -hmm. Translation's got to be heavy. Things that make you go fast aren't making you pick up heavier things. Not that you want to go slow, but like things that make you fatigued, but not making you any, like, that's like saying, I'm going to get better at shooting free throws. So let's do a bunch of sprint stuff down the court. No, like you want to get better to do this. You want to get better at being strong to push somebody. Practice very fresh, non-fatiguing, pushing something as hard as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. So what's that look like in the gym? Something as heavy as you possibly can. That's safe, perfect technique. Make sure you progress to heavy, right? Don't just go gym day one, 90% water at max. Like all the standard stuff, right? But the point is you want to get as heavy as possible. Typically, that means less than five reps per set. Because after about five reps, you start to get fatigued. And if you're going to do something 10 times, by definition, you're going to have to take weight off the bar. And it's no longer heavy. And if you're not practicing heavy, you're not getting better at heavy. Period. So it's one to five reps, as heavy as you can. And whatever sets you can do, big muscles, you know, trap bar deadlifts, overhead press, pull-ups, bent row, leg press, goblet squats, lunges, you know, big muscles, big movement stuff. If you do that, you're going to get really strong, but it's not actually enough to drive a lot of hypertrophy. So you won't gain a lot of muscle mass and you can get almost infinitely stronger without adding any muscle by keeping your reps per set low. And the last piece is, bro, you have to keep the rest very high. This is not a circuit. This is not conditioning. This is one, two, as hard as I can. Time out. Three, four minutes break. Which might be difficult for some athletes because they're so used to going, <clears throat> going, going, you know? And that's why they also so used to not getting strong. Right, right. That's why, right? Yeah. That's if you want to build it like in a little circuit, you can is what we call a superset. Yeah. So you could do like overhead press, bam, do your three reps, set the bar down, take a breath, walk over, do your RDLs, boom. So while your shoulders are resting, you're working your hamstrings back and glutes. Okay. W would you say that your shoulders are working, but secondarily, so you are losing some of that rest time with that technique? Yeah. yeah. If you wanted to truly, truly maximize yeah. strength, you would just wait, rest or wait. Yeah. But it's not enough for honestly, for like a basketball player, it wouldn't be enough for you to care. Okay. I got you. Got you. Got you. It's not enough for you to care because right. and it's more time efficient your... doing it this way. Yeah. It's, it's half the time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a 45 minute workout versus a 90 minute workout. Yeah, just like you said before, we don't have time for that. <laughs> and the benefit's not enough. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if we're talking about weightlifters or powerlifters. Yeah. Where this That's is their focus. sport. Yeah. The, the workouts for two hours. And you're like, man, they must be in such good shape. Like, no, no. It's just a lot of sitting. 
There's like, there's a lot of sitting in between. That's yeah. That's crazy. Right? Yeah. But they do that twice a day. Right. And, but they don't do, you know, they'll do 50 total reps the whole day. And it'll take them six hours. <sighs> Insane. You know? Yeah. Cause they're, yeah. they're getting, they're trying to get maximally stronger. So let's say, give me everything you got. Okay. Wait for five minutes. Give me everything right. and just repeat that all day. Basically. Okay. So now hypertrophy. Now let's go in the middle. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh. So someone who wants to get like, I want to get kind of bigger and stronger. Got you. Okay. Well, one to five reps is strength. Something like six to eight reps, six to nine reps is a little bit of strength. It's not optimal strength. It's a little bit too many reps. You have to get a little bit too light. But it's also enough repetitions now to start driving a little bit of hypertrophy. So typically, and we'll even call it like, there's overlap here, right? There's not hard lines. It's not like you do five reps of strength and six reps is all of a sudden right. hypertrophy. So even like five, if you do somewhere between like five to eight or so reps per set, as heavy as you can, that's a, you're going to get some strength and you're going to get some hypertrophy. Okay. Or you could do it a little bit different where you say, okay, I'm going to go do three sets of three repetitions as heavy as I can. That's interesting. And then my fourth set, I'll do like a set of 10. So your first three sets were heavy, a lot of rest, heavy, a lot of rest, heavy, a lot of rest. Okay, I got some good strength in there. And now I'll finish by doing as many reps as I can. I'll take like, you know, uh, 25% of the weight off, whatever I had on the bar, just take a bunch of it off and I'll do as many reps as I can. So I got one set for hypertrophy, three sets for strength. And that's going to get you a little bit of both. That's interesting. Yeah. It's not going to get you super sore. It's not going to take a ton of time and get you a little sore, take a little bit of time. You get strong and you'll build a lot of muscle that way, a decent amount. Okay. So before we move on to the third hypertrophy, how much does tempo matter in all this? To be continued, to be continued. Big thanks to Dr. Andy Galpin for joining in. Big thanks to Combo Nation for tuning in. There it was. Part one of my conversation with Dr. Andy Galpin. Combo Nation, share this episode. Share it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Share it on your IG stories and tag me at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. You can also share this episode on Twitter and tag me at Combo's Court. Same name as the pod, C-O-M-B-O-S-C-O-U-R-T. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you listen to Combos Court. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, it would mean the world to me if you leave a five-star rating and a friendly comment on the Apple Podcast app. It is a follow button, so punch down on that. Be on the lookout for episode 314. Combo out.